0: Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Episode 45, Talking with Jesus, by John Courtright. This is now the third in a series of messages related to monotheism. Having established that the Father of Jesus is the only true God, we must be careful not to denigrate or demote Jesus in any way. He is the perfect one who lived without sin and courageously faced death on behalf of all of us. In this message, John Courtright shares what the scriptures say about Jesus and his heavenly ministry, and specifically address the question of talking with Jesus— Here now is John Courtright.
1: Last night, Reverend McCabe so wonderfully shared about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he did on our behalf. What an awesome thing. That's what he has done for us. This morning in the teachings, we are going to be looking more at what Jesus does right now. Seated in this position of authority, what Jesus is doing now. I find it amazing, as John shared, that he became a curse for us. He became the lowest accursed on a tree and died on our behalf. And then God raised him from the dead. And because of his obedience, he went from the most cursed place on earth to being the most exalted at the right hand of God. As I thought of this before coming to this teaching and uh, thinking on many of the things that Reverend Finnegan shared about our Lord last night, uh, i got to tell you, I, 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 have, I shook with the fear of God in thinking about my Lord and uh, feeling so inadequate to be able to speak you know, on his behalf about him. Um, it's a very humbling thing when you come before our Lord and begin to ask to seek Him and to understand Him. And if you have your notes uh, from the, uh, I'm gonna be going through a lot of this in the notes. In a majority of Christian churches, songs, prayers, and communication with Jesus are commonplace. In our church here, we are a monotheistic church. We believe in one God, the Father, and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the years, we have always acknowledged Jesus' importance as Lord in Christ, but we are aware that the church, the Christian church as a whole, has been deficient in giving honor, glory, and praise due the Creator, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty, whose name is Yahweh. It is our desire to always keep these priorities in line with reverence due our God, as recorded in Scripture. Now this no way diminishes our love, respect, admiration, and glory due our Lord and Messiah, Jesus. Rather, we desire to magnify our God and be sure to give Him, the Creator, the glory that He alone deserves. You know, through the years, uh, my whole life I've pretty much been in a monotheistic church. Even though I was in a denominational church, the idea that Jesus and God were the same, I didn't even realize the church taught that. So I always at from from Sunday school, I believe God was God and his Son Jesus was his son Jesus, and I do the distinction so um, and then as i i 've taught through the years my my whole life has been a monotheistic um, belief, and the people i've i 've fellowshipped with I would have to say that um, through the years it 's been interesting as people sharing that same faith i 've seen two extremes on i 've seen some people who who will because of monotheism, and we know that God is God, and God is God alone, that if I ever give Jesus anything due him that would somehow be interpreted that I think he's God, I'm not gonna get any close to that. On the other hand, I have been with people in the same fellowship of monotheism who believe that we don't acknowledge Jesus enough. You know, Jesus is my Lord, I need to acknowledge him. So you got like two sides of the spectrum, and I can tell you right now, I have no agenda here. I really just wanna read the scriptures with you. I think a lot of these verses you're going to see and recognize, and so I have extensive notes. Now, I'm not gonna be able to read all these scriptures that are in my notes, and you'll see many verses I'm gonna put on the overhead so we don't need to turn to them, um, because there's so much to say. And let me also say that I am certain there are so many other verses that I could go to on this subject that I'm gonna fall far short to communicate what I want to communicate with you this morning. About 10 to 15 years ago in our church, we began to look at the importance of praise. We really started to study praise. And it kind of began to change the primary way we lead a congregation in singing. At the same time, we realized that although we had numerous amounts of song giving praise and honor to Jesus, we in our church lacked a lot of songs that gave praise and honor to God the Father. Now, uh, you guys have seen our little songbook that we have. The songbook is what we use for years. And there are many songs in here about Jesus, to Jesus. Um, For instance, we have the song, Do You Know My Savior? Following Jesus. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He's a wonderful Savior to me. His name is wonderful, Christ Jesus my Lord. It is glory just to walk with him whose blood has ransomed me. Jesus is all the world to me. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Yes, it is Jesus. (laughs) So, like I say, we have a lot of songs about Jesus, but we realized about ten years ago we had very few songs about God. About the Father God. And so in our church, when we built here, and I'm so blessed with you guys that do praise, that we wanted to bring worship to our God. And so we 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 did it. It doesn't mean that none of these songs were bad or that we just have wanted to put the priority that the scriptures put on them. We wanted to be balanced with the scriptures over who it is that is to receive the glory and honor. Now In your notes, I'm gonna give an outline. These are some scriptural truths that we'll cover. Again, we're gonna do this all briefly. But these, I believe, are what the Bible teaches. There is one God, the Father, who is above all. His name is Yahweh. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. He is seated at the right hand of God above all principality, power, might, and dominion. He is the head of the body of Christ, our high priest, the mediator between God and man, our advocate, our intercessor, he is our Lord. Jesus is not physically present on earth, but rather through the Spirit, He walks among the churches and talks with His disciples. Through the Holy Spirit, God and Jesus abide in His disciples. The Scriptures contain the, new, the words of Jesus, especially the New Testament Scriptures of the apostles. His words are to abide in us. As our Lord, our intercessor, our high priest and advocate, we can go to Jesus in time of need. We can offer thanksgiving to God, and we can offer thanks to Jesus. Prayer, specifically the word prayer, is to be directed to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. By God's grace and mercy, I'm going to get through all these notes with you. God is one. His name is Yahweh. Deuteronomy 6.4 is the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Yahweh. Yahweh our God is one. That's what Jesus taught. They came to him and said, what is the great commandment in the law? He's quoted the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then the man, the the, the scribe said, you are right. You answer correctly, for there is only one God, and him only shall you serve. And Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Because he understood the truth. There is one God, there is no other. Isaiah 46, 9, but there's other verses I could have put in there. And there is one God and Father who is above all. And here in Ephesians 4, 6, it says, but to us, that's not Ephesians 4:6. that should be Corinthians, I think. There is one, but to us, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. That should be Corinthians, not Ephesians. He is worthy to receive honor. If Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That is our God. He is one. And there is no denying that. That is not even brought into question at anything that we're doing this weekend. Jesus is the Son of God, He is the Messiah the Christ. John 20, 31, it said, we, the book of John was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is a descendant of David. He died and God raised him from the dead. He is the prophet like unto Moses that would come. And right now, this very day in 2012, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. This was from the Psalm 110, the prophet spoke, Yahweh says to my Adonai, my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And in fulfilling this prophecy, Hebrews 10, 12 through 13 says, But he, talking of Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all times, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Now where is this location? Where is God's throne in the heavens and Jesus sitting there? You know, NASA's not going to be able to make a spaceship to go there. Okay, I don't understand where that is. I think it's spiritually for us to stand seated in the is at the right hand of God. But that's where he is right now. It's in the spiritual realm. He is now above all principality, power, might, and dominion. He is the head of the body of Christ. Look at these great verses. This is from Ephesians 1, 20 through 22. It says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Under God, Jesus is over all. He is over everything. I love this one from Colossians. This, I don't believe, is in your notes. You can write it in there. Colossians 1, 18 and 19. He also is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all fullness to dwell in him. All the fullness of God dwells in His Son, Jesus Christ. All authority, all power, all might, all dominion is given to our Lord over the affairs of this earth. He is our high priest. Hebrews 4.14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. He is the mediator. It says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He's our mediator. Jesus said in uh, in John 2, 1, it writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our advocate with the Father. I love what it says in Romans 8:34. Who is the one that condemns? Who's going to condemn you? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. At that right hand of God, He's our advocate. He's our high priest. He intercedes for us to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him, we know from John 14 6. No one, remember last night, nada. No one gets there without Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our Lord. And this is what every person must confess. I love what this says in Philippians 2.11. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Apostles' words are just fantastic how it attributes who Jesus is and gives glory to God the Father. You see that so often in the Scriptures. Jesus now, so these are all things, this is who Jesus is right now. This is who he is, our high priest. He's our advocate. He's our Lord. He's our intercessor at the right hand of God. This is how he is. is, He's the head of the body of Christ. And he functions in this capacity today with his church. And he also is the Messiah. And soon he is going to be coming back to earth as king of kings and lord of lords. I mean, he's our king today, but baby... There's a day coming when he will, all the world will know who's king when he comes back. You see, Jesus, I like to say he's second in command. God is overall. Jesus is like his general, <laughs> as in a sense. He's, right, he's the governor working for God. Um, and I, I'd like to give you some, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a human analogy, but I think it really communicates for us to understand. Jesus as Lord, as as someone acting in a position where you've been given authority and rule and dominion over others. Where someone who has this dominion bestowed this um, responsibility on another. And I think in the Bible one of the best records of this is is the record of Joseph in Egypt, where um, remember the story, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, he went into Egypt into slavery, then he got put in prison, but then some guy, he had a dream of the butler and the baker, he interpreted. And then Pharaoh had a dream, called Joseph to him, and Joseph interpreted the dream and told him what was going to happen in the, in the nation of Egypt for the next 14 years. And then, and then Pharaoh said, we've got to find a wise person to oversee everything, to run everything. So this, and then this is what Pharaoh communicated to Joseph in Genesis forty-one thirty-nine. So Pharaoh said to Joseph... Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all people shall do homage or they'll worship, bow down. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand and clothed them in garments of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around the neck. He had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh made Joseph lord on his behalf. He made him lord over his kingdom. He made him lord over his people. They would come to Joseph, they'd they come to Pharaoh and said, we need some food. He said, see Joseph. He's in charge. He gave him that responsibility. Later on, when the brothers came to Joseph, uh, and he revealed himself to them, this is what Joseph told his brothers. Um, uh, we got a little, he said, now therefore, it was not you who sent me here but God. And he, God, has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to them, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. Joseph was made Lord over Egypt. It's very very simple to understand. Joseph also, um, when, when, when he was kind of playing with his brothers Judah, and they were a little afraid of him, this is, this is him in, when Judah came to him. And when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell to the ground. They bowed before him. And then Judah approached him. See, they, he was Lord. He was over them. They realized Judah was, you know, Joseph was everything. This one in Egypt, they didn't know it was Joseph at the time, but if they wanted food, he was, he was their Lord. They, they bowed to him. And Judah approached him and said, Oh, my Lord, make your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears. And do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. Was Joseph Pharaoh? No, but he had been given all dominion, all authority, all power over the land of Egypt, over the nation, over Pharaoh's people. He gave him all that responsibility. Again, this is a human understanding, but I think it gives us a comprehension of what it means that Jesus is Lord. That he is over God's heritage. He's over, but he's over everything. All dominion, all power, all authority, everything on earth. All kingdoms and nations of the earth, Jesus is now over because God gave him that responsibility. In the scriptures, uh, you have the anointed of the Lord. In the Hebrew, it's the Mashiach, the Messiah. Right? The Messiah was the anointed of the Lord. The Lord's anointed over God's people was the one that represented God to the country, was the one that represented God to Israel. David was the anointed of the Lord. He was the one whom God had appointed as king, as the Messiah over his people. And I love this record and what it says here in Chronicles. Just before he he anoints and he's going to give the kingdom over to Solomon, this is what it says when the people came to David. Then David said to all the congregation, Now bless Yahweh your God. And all the congregation blessed Yahweh, God of their fathers, and they bowed down their heads and worshipped Yahweh and the king. They came before David and they bowed, they worshipped before Yahweh and the king, the Messiah, the Mashiach, who represented Yahweh to his people. Wonderful understanding there. Now, Jesus currently is no longer physically present on earth. Rather, he has ascended to the right hand of God. We no longer see Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, Though we do him after the flesh, we don't know him after the flesh anymore. Here in Peter, um, it says, And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, But you believe in him. How greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, expressible, full of glory. And we're going to see him when he comes back. But right now, he physically is not here in the flesh. But rather, by way of the Spirit, we communicate with him, and he, Jesus, communicates with his church. Uh, At the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples, I am leaving I'm going to go away. I won't be here anymore. But, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending something in my place. And in John 16, 5, he says, But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, Paraclete, the Comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he says, but when the Spirit of truth comes, when this Spirit comes, he will guide you into the all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatsoever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and disclose it to you. The Spirit would take of Jesus and disclose, by way of the Spirit, Jesus would disclose himself to his disciples. It's a beautiful truth of understanding. Uh, In studying the book of Revelation, a wonderful, wonderful record here, uh, where there is admonition given to the the seven churches of Asia, specifically addressed in chapters 2 and 3. In this revelation given to John in chapter 1, Jesus is presented in a quite a spectacular vision to the Apostle John. And um, in, your, in your syllabus at the end, Reverend Finnegan has a great chapter on, uh, just a writing on this specific record of Jesus to the seven churches. But these are, this is in the chart in your notes too, This is who Jesus is. I really believe right now this is who Jesus is. This is how he walks among the churches. It says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the first and the last who is dead and has come to life, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like burnished bronze. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. The amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is how Jesus is presented today in his position at the right hand of God. This is who he is. He's not some little the little teddy bear that we, that, that we trifle with, that we use his name like it's whatever. He is, the, he is the Messiah at the right hand of God. You understand? That's who he is. Now, these seven attributes, as I've laid them out here, are how the seven churches are addressed. Now, look at this. After he addresses himself with these seven different ways at the beginning of each of these churches, there are seven different ways that he describes the one speaking, and, and who's, who's talking at the end. And what it says is, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, Jesus communicates, and I don't know how this works. You know, I don't know how, but it says. It says. This is the Spirit speaking to the churches. How Jesus discloses Himself through the Spirit to His church, and walks among the churches, and talks among his people and leads his disciples as the head of the body, directs the body of Christ, calls his disciples, gives his apostles, his prophets, his evangelists, his pastors and teachers, and leads his church as the head of the body of Christ. Again, I don't know how it all works, but this is what I can see from Scripture, that it is by way of the Spirit that he discloses himself to his disciples. You see, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is called the helper, the comforter, the counselor. Through the Spirit, both God and Jesus abide in his disciples. Jesus departed from the earth, but he sent the Spirit to guide, to bring his words to remembrance, to show things to come. Now, confusion arises when we don't keep straight who's who. You read the apostles, read the writings of the Apostle Paul. They are very clear, very concise. There's no mixing it. There's no guesswork in communicating God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of the epistles, Paul writes, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very straightforward. God, Yahweh the Father, and his son Jesus are not one and the same. The scriptures reveal clear differences, and these are just some. I I don't have time to go through this in detail, but for instance, Yahweh's not a man. Jesus was a man. Yahweh cannot be tempted. Jesus was tempted in all ways. Yahweh cannot die. Jesus died. Jesus said the Father knows when the end can come, but he said the Son doesn't know when the end is going to come. Jesus said the Father is greater than I. Clear distinctions, But the confusion I think comes in that there are similarities between God the Father and His Son. For instance, here's just a few. Yahweh is called Lord of lords. Jesus is called Lord of lords. Yahweh is king. Psalm 47, 2. Jesus is king. Yahweh is called savior. Jesus is called savior. God is the author of salvation. Jesus is the agent that brought that salvation to pass. Yahweh is called shepherd. Remember Psalm 23, 1? Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus is called shepherd. I am the good shepherd, right? Yahweh is the Lord God. Jesus is the Lord Christ. The fact that the name of God, Yahweh, and the Hebrew titles Adonai and Adoni were all translated by one Greek word, kurios, adds confusion to this understanding. I think it was very detrimental to us understanding who the Lord is. So in reading the words Lord, especially in the New Testament, because there is no distinguishing with the Hebrew language, the context reveals who the Lord is talking about. We had a seminar last fall where we went through usages of Lord, and I would say, you know, 99% of them are really easy to understand. There's a few, it's difficult, but it's really pretty easy to read the context and to know who's who. Today, um, we sing some songs. And, you know, it's funny, I've talked to some people who sing these songs, and... Uh, When they're singing it in their heart, they're singing to God. And I'll talk to some people who are singing the exact same song, and in their heart, they're singing to Jesus. And uh, uh, I'll give you an example. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. To worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet song in your ear. I've talked to people who say, that, well, I'm singing to God, because you only worship God. And other people say, well, there's a worship you give to Jesus, and it says king, so this is really talking about Jesus. I don't know! I didn't write the song! Those are the words of men. You understand? It's the word of God that we want to be most concerned with. And I tell you what, I am so thankful for the people that do praise. Jim and Carrie, for Andy and uh, Victor and for uh, Ralph, you guys that do this. I mean, that is a huge responsibility. That when you are presenting a song to a congregation, that you don't mix up who, who's who, and still be able to glorify and give the praise that's due, our Lord Jesus, and that which is due, our Lord God, the only true God. You guys do an awesome job. And and this a little give a little help out here. You guys should pray for them. Pray for our praise leaders. Pray for these people who who Because I'll tell you what, music has a big bearing on what people believe and doctrines that people hold, and that's why we take it so serious. Now, we can talk about artistic license, but I'm more concerned about scriptural truth. You know, and then there's some songs you just can't fix. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 some, you know, some of you could tweak a word there, but some of them you just you, you can't do anything with it. But anyway, now this is important, I believe. Jesus' will is never at cross-purposes with God's will. You see, Jesus is in a position of authority over all power, might, dominion, but he is in subjection to God. On the earth, remember, he always did the Father's will, and I believe today at the right hand of God, he's still always doing the Father's will, maybe even more so. huh? There is nothing that Jesus, by way of the Holy Spirit, that would communicate to the church that would be contrary to the will of God. They are one in purpose. John 10:30 said, I and my Father are one. John 17:23, he said, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. The reason I say this is like in a corporation, you may have a chairman of the board, he's overall, and under him, there's a president, right? Now, in a human relationship, that president and that chairman and board might have different of opinions. So I may go to the president to get one answer, if I want to, and I may go to the chairman of the board to, to lead another way because they might not be one and the same. Never true with God and Jesus. You're never going to go to Jesus for anything that God would not give you. You're not going to go to God for anything that He's not going to give to Jesus to give you. You understand? It's just it's simple to understand these things. Now, Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. This is the record of the conversion of Saul. And starting in verse 3, it says, As he was traveling, Acts 9, verse 3. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed round him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, "I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting." So Jesus is talking to Paul. But get up and enter the city, it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could not he could see nothing. And leading them by the hand, they brought him to Damascus, and he was 3 days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Keep a finger there and look at Acts 26. Acts 26. This is him uh, talking about this incident on the road to Damascus. He's he's going, I think he's before Agrippa here, in 26, verse 14. He's repeating this. He says, And when I had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And in verse 19, he says, so King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to what? The heavenly vision. What Paul saw was a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus communicated to him via this vision. Look at Acts 9. Acts 9, back there. Now, the Lord goes and speaks to Ananias. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, said, Lord, I have heard much about him. And in verse 17, anyway, so Ananias and departed, he goes to find Saul. And he entered the house after laying hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So just as a vision appeared to Paul, a vision of Jesus appeared to Ananias, and Jesus spoke to these people to bring this thing together as he's directing his church. Um, I, you don't need to turn to uh, Acts 10 uh, about Peter, I'll just tell you, but go to Acts 16. Um, but I do want to tell you about the record with Peter. I love the way that it is. You ever read that record with Peter? The angel goes to the householder of Cornelius, says, uh, says your, your, your alms have come before me. And then uh, go, and there's a man named Peter, he'll tell you what you need to do. Peter's just hanging out on the roof, right? And while he's there on the roof, he gets a vision of all these unclean animals coming down from heaven. And then it says, a voice spoke to him. You know what I love about the Bible? Whose voice was it? Was it God? Was it Jesus? Was it the Holy Spirit? Was it that angel that he had just sent? It doesn't say! It just says he heard a voice. voice said, rise, kill, and eat. Peter said, no way. After the third time, he said, huh. These guys come, he goes to the over to Cornelius, and you know what he says when he comes to Cornelius? He says, Cornelius, God has shown me. I'm not supposed to call anything clean. So however that voice was, whose voice that was, Peter got the point. God has called these Gentiles. So, you know, we get so hung up in in, in the logistics, I don't know how all the God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit work, but I know it works. I know Jesus communicates to us through the way of the Spirit. Uh, you know, how he communicates with you is probably a little different than how he communicates with me. You know, there's, there's probably differences in that. And I'm, I'm okay with that, as long as we know who's who. And we keep that straight. I love this one in Acts 16. Acts 16, um, in the New American Standard, really translates the Greek well here. Acts 16:6, 6, and they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by what? The Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia so they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit and after they came to Mycenae they were trying to go into Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them so you got the Holy Spirit now the Spirit of Jesus doesn't permit them and in verse 9 a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing him and saying come over to Macedonia and help us he sees a vision of this man from Macedonia and when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what do you want to do with that? God can communicate to his church by way of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as the head of the body of Christ, can communicate to his church. It's just very simple. An important thing we need to remember is that the Scripture, these contain the words of Jesus. These contain the words of Jesus. Galatians 1, He said, For I would have you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He received this through a revelation of Jesus Christ, the writings of the Apostle Paul. Um, Jesus spoke to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. That's all through Revelation. Also, the angel speaks to John in Revelation, and God speaks to John in Revelation. The apostles of Jesus in the first century wrote down what Jesus communicated. They were his apostles. And we have these words of the apostles of Jesus in the Bibles today. Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is the spirit of prophecy. In John 15, 7, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. His words, Jesus' words, are to abide in us. Now, if we truly say that Jesus is our Lord, we need to follow his words. These words. You know, we're, we're many times we're interested in getting some spiritual Jesus right here. This is Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. His words will speak to your heart. And what he said was, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Woo! He said there's going to be a lot of people talking Jesus in the future. A lot of people are going to say, we prophesied in your name. We cast devils out in your name. Woo! He's going to say, I don't know you. You didn't do what I said. You want Jesus to speak to you? Do what he said. And he will come to you. How that works through the Holy Spirit, I don't know. I don't know how that works. We get busy doing what we know what the scripture says. This is Jesus' words. This is where we start in our relationship with God and in our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, our practice for Christian living as disciples of Christ should come from the words of the apostles. Our speech and our vocabulary should emulate Scripture. Now, there's certain phrases that are common in Christian churches. And though I don't necessarily think the phrase is inaccurate, it's not a biblical phrase. For instance, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Do you know there's not one verse of the Bible that says that? I was amazed because I thought well, it's got to be there a couple times not once now I think we are to praise in its, in its simple forms mean that you, give, you, know, you speak well of someone absolutely but in the scriptures when there's a direction of command to give it's praise God praise Yahweh Alleluia praise Yahweh that's something another one you hear thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus not a biblical term. Not used once in the Bible. So now, am I, thankful my Lord? am I thankful for what John shared last night? Oh my gosh! And can I thank my Lord for what he's done for you? Absolutely. But the scriptures are pretty, pretty much across the board on this. I thank my God through my Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at Thanksgiving a little bit later. The writing of the apostles are very deliberate and accurate in their communication, and I've given you some examples of this in your notes, where they thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a few other things. Let's just look at these about who Jesus is. It says in Hebrews 4:16, "...therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses." but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I think that verse says you can go to Jesus in time of need. He is there at the front. I think that's what that says. Matthew 8:20. He said, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is here right now with us. As we walk with him, he is with us till the end of the age. In Matthew eighteen nineteen, he said, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on anything on earth, about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them for my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have been gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Jesus is in the midst of those who gather in his name. He's right there. Matthew 11, what a beautiful verse. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus can give us rest. This one I love. This one, uh, I, I, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 12, is the record where Paul has a thorn in the flesh, right? He's, you know, it, it is trying to buffet him. And here's what it says. And this is one of those places where the word Lord isn't, you know, just says Lord. He says, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I can tell you right now, I have talked to people very adamant that this is God. And I have talked to people on the other end. These are monotheists, too. On the other end, no, that's Jesus. Oh, I'm okay either way. I'm okay either way. I think it's all right. I beseech my Lord, I need help. I can seek him. I can go to him. I can go to my God. Jesus is at his right hand. And I know that by way of the Holy Spirit, Christ is in me. And that's the way I live and I move and I walk. Stephen, upon seeing the vision of Jesus, remember in Acts 7, he called upon Jesus. He said, Jesus, do not hold this sin against them. Ask Jesus, Please don't put that sin on them. Jesus has some power to forgive sins there at the right hand of God. And in the end of Revelation, upon Jesus saying, I'm coming quickly, John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I tell you, I pray that in my prayer. Oh, Lord, come. Come, come. We can offer thanksgiving to God, and we can offer thanks to Jesus. And I got to tell you, of all the things that I was very surprised about when I really looked at this for the first time, was this thing on thanks, thankfulness. You know, I thought, you know, there must be tons of places that say thank Jesus in the Bible. But I looked at, look at, check it out yourself. Forty-seven times, thanks, is directed to God the Father. Forty-seven times. This is thanks, Thanksgiving, all those. Four times, thanks is directed to another person, where someone thanks the believers for what they did, right? Seven times, we are told to have an attitude of thanksgiving. And two times in the scripture, thanks is directed to Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but I found that really amazing. I'm just telling you, it was like, whoa, I thought, it would, I thought there'd be a different ratio there. But that's, that's the, the, the precedent of scripture, um, the one record of thanks, actually is pretty cool, is when the leper comes, the leper comes and he gives glory to God and he bows down to Jesus and thanks him. And, that's, and I see him giving glory to God through Jesus. It's really kind of a cool record where he does that. That's one of the records. And the other one is here in First Timothy. I put in your notes, the only one that says this, 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. I thank Christ. And I tell you what, when I teach, I thank Jesus, my Lord, that I have the ability to teach because I believe he is the one that directs the church. He is the one that calls his disciples and directs the body of Christ and calls his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and for all the ministry and all the service in the body of Christ. And Paul thanked his Lord and Savior here. We thank Jesus for what Jesus did. We thank God. When When I eat my food, I thank my God for providing that. When I look outside and I see the beauty of the universe, I bow my knees to my God and Father, the creator of all things. When I think about what my Lord and Savior did for me in Calvary, oh, I thank him. I thank him for who he is and what he's done for me. When I have my when I do the, the covenant and I take the sup, I am so thankful. You understand? And eh, you know what? Lighten up. It's 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 just beautiful. And the scriptures very clearly show these distinctions. Now, the word prayer, when you're talking about prayer, which is, which is devotion, where you're giving your all, and it's the word in the Greek, it's prosukoi and prosukamai every single time, it is only to God. You can check it out in your Bible. Every single time, that type of total devotion and prayer is always directed to God in the name of Jesus Christ. And one of the beautiful things is if we call him Lord, right, We are to do what he said, right? They came to him. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Paul and all his apostles praise to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. That is the way, that is the standard set. Can we pray to Jesus? I don't think there's a problem. Can I beseech? Absolutely. He's our Lord We can talk to him, he can talk to us. But we've got to remember who's who. That's just really the whole key to this whole thing. And now I'd like to close with you in Revelation chapter 3 and put one little thought here for all of us to consider. Revelation chapter 3. I'm in Romans, I need to be in Revelation. Revelation. Revelation, chapter 3. This is to the last church of Laodicea. Jesus is speaking. It says in verse 20, he said, Behold, I stand and knock at the door. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking. Now, I don't know a lot of your lives. I don't know if there's any of you who have never made Jesus Lord of your life. I don't know if there's anyone here who has never confessed Him as Lord. But I invite you right now go to Him. He's knocking. He's knocking. Make Him Lord of your life. There's many of us. What are we doing with our lives? I'm telling you, if you want Jesus to talk to you, if you want his spirit to dwell in you, if you want him to abide in you, make him Lord, and you make him Lord by studying his word and doing what he said. If you're doing things in your life that are contrary to what our Lord said, he's not really talking to you. You make him Lord by doing what he said, walking out on what he said to do. And when you do, he will come and make his abode with you. He's standing at the door knocking. Who wants to be my disciple? Who wants to live for me? Who is it that wants to walk and talk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to which we have access to God the Father, who is above all and through us all and in us all? He's knocking. Do you want to answer the door? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I know I've I'm fallen so short in communicating this today. I ask you for forgiveness for where I've failed. But I thank you so much, God, that we can know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for what he's done for us and how you have exalted him above all principality, power, might, and dominion and that we could walk and talk with him this day, that we could hear his voice, we could hear what he calls God, that we can be true disciples of Jesus. Thank you for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.